0: Hello friends, and welcome to a special episode of the story of woman, which once again, isn't actually an episode of the story of woman. This is an episode of the nurse Keith podcast of which I was on as a guest recently. Not too long ago, I shared the episode I was on on the creativity found podcast where I talked about my journey going from nurse to podcaster and I got a really positive response from you all about hearing more of my story and getting a bit of a behind the scenes look at the podcast. So I thought I'd go ahead and share this episode as well. Nurse Keith is a holistic career coach for nurses, a professional podcaster, published author, award winning blogger, inspiring keynote speaker, and a successful nurse entrepreneur. It's been really cool to connect with someone else who's both a nurse and a podcaster, and we get into that a bit today in our conversation, talking about some of the overlapping skills these professions have. And we also talk about the inequities that still exist in our healthcare systems, both for patients and nurses themselves, and what I witnessed personally during my clinical nursing days. We talk about the podcast quite a lot. Keith asked me about some of the main lessons I've learned from all the people that I've interviewed, how I choose topics for the podcast, and if I was named queen of the world tomorrow, what's one of the first things I would want to do to improve the lives of my subjects? It's a great conversation or podcast. At least I think so. And I'd be very keen to hear what you think. So let me know if you enjoy listening to me on the other side of the mic, hearing more of my story and getting this deeper behind the scenes look. And be sure to check out the Nurse Keith podcast wherever you get your podcast and connect with Keith at nursekeith.com. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Keith on the Nurse Keith podcast. We're all the same at our core. At the end of the day, we we tend to uh, look at the external: our religions, you know, how much money we make, our skin color, our gender. But at our core, we're all the exact same, and that can be applied to not just the differences I've mentioned, but also to people who have done really amazing things in this world um, that at our core, we're all the same. And anybody listening, anybody who wants to can do incredible things as well. There's nothing that separates us.
1: How does healthcare bias impact women's health and what can we do to leverage women's empowerment and representation in the healthcare space and beyond. Let's talk all about it with Anna Steckline, a registered nurse and the founder, producer and host of the Story of Women podcast right here on episode 421 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcasters heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And guess what? You can now get CEUs. From listening to podcasts. That's right, at that's rnegade.pro. That's R-N-E-G-A-D-E dot pro. They're building a library of nursing podcasts. And since you're listening anyway, why not earn credits while you listen? So head over to our look for me or any other content creator, start listening, learning, and earning. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or just share the show with anyone, you know. And if you want to become a patron, patreon.com P A T R E O N.com forward slash nurse Keith. I appreciate y'all. So, so very much. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the drop-down podcast menu, or, of course, the show notes will be available in any app where you happen to be listening. As I said at the top of the show, we're here with my friend and colleague, Anna Steckline, a fellow podcaster, and we have so much to talk about, Anna. And the first question I have for you is, what is it like being a nurse who's jumped into the podcasting space specifically the women's empowerment space?
0: Oh, well, great first question to start off with. And first, I'd just like to say hello and thank you so much for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to get the opportunity to speak with you. And a nurse jumping into the women's empowerment space and podcasting, you know, I think about the um, skills that I developed as a nurse and carried those over into podcasting world. And there's there's quite a lot, you know, from having to think on your feet and um, be able to have conversations with people and put them at ease and doing 10 different things at once. But what I really like about the space that I'm in with podcasting specifically and kind of as it relates to nursing is feeling like I'm um, giving back doing something meaningful and purposeful. So, you know, the reason I got into nursing in the first place is because I have always kind of had this desire to help people. Um, And I don't know how much will go into my journey, but obviously I kind of have left the clinical space at some point. And it was really important for me to be able to continue doing something meaningful that I felt like had purpose, and could touch people's lives. And healthcare, really, as I started getting into these different issues about women, women's empowerment, the systemic issues that hold women back, healthcare is kind of one facet. You can kind of apply what we might talk about today, what I see in healthcare, what I saw as a nurse, as a patient, and beyond, you can apply that to the economy, to... Our schooling systems to business, you know, to absolutely everything. So I guess, yeah, it's really just another way to be able to do something that I feel like adds good into the world, a different means, you know, more through education and raising awareness and forming communities. Um, as opposed to the direct, a little bit more direct way of providing this as a nurse. But yeah, I guess I kind of see that as the biggest um, comparison between the 2
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And you were coming from a profession that is, you know, 90-ish percent female. So mm. nursing is dominated by women and has been for a long, long time, even though within that paradigm, male nurses rise to leadership positions often more easily, more quickly. They earn more money. So the the gender gap, the pay gap, everything is there despite the fact that nursing is so female-dominated and despite the fact that there are a lot of nurse leaders within that world, of course. So we could talk a lot about bias within healthcare in terms of the people who work in healthcare, but your show has focused more, well, especially um, some of the episodes have focused on healthcare bias. Like I'm thinking about the episode with um, Eleanor Cleghorn. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's a writer and she wrote a book called The Unwell Woman. And Mm -hmm. she's talking about the history of the debilitating disease of menstruation and all the misunderstanding around it and all the prejudice beliefs that grew from the ancient Greeks and persist to this day, how many thousands of years later? And in your newest season, you have interviewed Hillary Clinton, Sherry Blair, so many amazing women. You have a Nobel laureate on the docket for this particular season. So you're attracting some women to your show who really have powerful things to say about healthcare, but also about the bigger bigger issues, the like pulling the camera back type of issues. What is it that you want women and men who are listening to take away? Like what are some of the big lessons so far that you think if you took a giant metaphorical highlighter, that you would highlight those particular issues right now for us.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's a good distinction to add the "and men" in there because it's definitely oh. a show for for everyone, and you know, it's it's crucial that everyone be made aware of these issues. That's yes. why I have a a bit of a an issue, and we call these things women's issues because um, that's not quite uh, that's a bit of a misnomer, I think. <laughs> but I think I think the kind of overarching way that I see all of these issues—if I'm going to take a big highlighter, as you say—it's really just considering the fact that every single thing in the world has been designed and created by and for men, and not all men, for one kind of uh, one color you know, having a certain income, there are are qualifications to that. But that fact, you know, you mentioned that with, in ancient Greece, we see today, that's a great example, because we see today, women tend to not be believed about their symptoms when they go and they see a doctor. This is part of the conversation that's happening more and more. We know very little about uh, women's sexual health and reproductive health. And there continues to be so much stigma shrouded and things that relate to women. And you can trace that all the way back as Eleanor does in her book Unwell Women. You can trace that all the way back to the origins of ancient Greece, when, you know, the word hysteria comes from the word womb in Latin. They're so inextricably linked. This idea that there's something kind of deranged and and slightly just uh, off about a woman's body compared to a man. You have a standard body of a male, and a woman is kind of one slight deviation away. So that kind of started thousands of years ago. And what Eleanor does in her book, and what you can do with all of these kinds of issues, is trace it century by century millennia by millennia, uh, to figure out where we are, to see how we got to the current day problem. So that example can really be applied, again, to everything else. Adam Smith, the founding father of economics, um, created the entire basis of our economic theory without considering all of the free work that women do mostly women do, feeding and raising all of the world's humans. And you can see that today, you know, that was in the 1700s or something that Ann Smith was around. And you can see that today, by the way, that we don't put value on childcare. So I guess the, the highlighter, the overarching thing is just zooming out as far as possible and understanding that there are so many deeply embedded implications of women's sins from our world and from the lack of consideration that It takes a little bit of, it takes some additional context and understanding of figuring out how we got here. And I think once you start to see one of these examples, you start to kind of see it everywhere. So I I hope I've answered your question, but it's really just, yeah, looking at it from um, the standpoint of the headlines that we see today, they stem from much, much deeper and more pervasive issues. And it can be applied to everything from the way we design our city streets to the fact that our iPhones are, you know, pretty big for the size compared to the size of women's hands. Women's Mm -hmm. don't, women's clothes don't have pockets, you know, all from little to big. Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Speaking of iPhones, you just told me a story (laughs) before we hopped on that, that you live in London and this kid was on a bike the other day. You were FaceTiming with your parents and just ripped the phone right out of your hand. So, yes, that's just that's just an aside. But there's, <laughs> well, but if we could take that and extrapolate that out, like here's a woman mm. walking down the street, vulnerable, doing an innocent thing, talking on the phone with her parents, and some kid comes by on a bike, and all of a sudden, this $1,000 computer that you carry in your hand and purse is gone right? And your life is upended. And And,
0: and what if that phone would have fit my hand a little bit better, you know?
1: Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, okay. We can look at the really blatant issues all around the world. We can look at the ways in which women are subjugated in other cultures. We can look at female genital mutilation, you know, in various African countries and cultures, we could look at girls' education or lack thereof in places like Afghanistan, for instance. We can look at human trafficking where it comes to women, you know, slavery. There's so many different pieces of this. And you interviewed Sherry Blair, whose husband happened to be the prime minister of England back in the day, not, well, not that many years ago, good old Tony. And you (laughs) interviewed Hillary Clinton. You actually interviewed them both on the same episode. I wanted to ask you what was it like to have women of that level of stature and Global recognition and accomplishment on your show, and what did you learn from the experience of having them? Like, what's what's something that stuck with you about Hillary and Sherry that just like cut you to the quick?
0: Mm. Wow! It was the experience of a lifetime. First and foremost, I felt incredibly honored and privileged to be just in the same room with them. And, you know, that's really one thing that I took away is being in the same room with people, I guess after after studying these issues, you know, for a while now, <clears throat> and also having really strong feelings about Hillary and the 2016 election mm-hmm. and everything that happened there, you know, I feel so uh, just... it felt felt very personal. You know, I went beyond just me kind of doing my job. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could really feel the weight of history (laughs) in the room. Mm -hmm. It it just was something that I have had a very hard time putting words to being in the room with people who have literally changed the course of history single-handedly. I just think it's it is hard to put, to put words to what that is, what that is like. And not to mention that was their first ever joint podcast interview, which made me feel, um, an extra sense of responsibility in adding to this history, um, because it felt like quite a historical moment. So it was, it was just really, really an honor. And I would say you know, there's a lot that I learned from the conversation. They have so much to teach us. Um, it was both the hardest and easiest interview I'd ever done because easy because um, anything that you ask them, they provide just insightful, really incredibly, incredibly profound answers. But I think one of the biggest things that I kind of learned and took away was. Just and this might sound a little cheesy, just their mm-hmm. humanity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I think a combination of the pedestal that I put them on and the way that media and others can portray um anybody, but especially the likes of Hillary Clinton, you know you you form images in your head, and they just feel so not human. Um, but being in the room with them, they're just you know, she was tired. She flew overnight that night, getting in that morning and, um, was catching up with her friend. They hadn't seen each other since they arrived. So they were just excited to see each other because they've been friends since the nineties and Mm -hmm. were just so unbelievably human. Um, and I think that was a really incredible experience to just kind of get to witness them as friends and as just everyday people first. And, um, really inspire you know the ethos that i carry which is just that all you know we're all we're all the same at our core at the end of the day we we tend to uh look at the external our religions you know how much money we make our skin color our gender but at our core we're all the exact same and that can be applied to not just the differences i've mentioned but also to people who have done really amazing things in this world um that at our core we're all the same and anybody listening anybody who wants to can do incredible things as well there's nothing that separates us
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's it's lovely that you got to experience their their humanity and that's not cheesy in my world that's (laughs) like that's pretty core right? Mm -hmm. So you got to experience the humanity. Like here's two women who've known each other a long time, who are friends and colleagues and who love each other, I'm sure, and respect each other. And here they were meeting up for the first time in a long time. And you got to witness their like greeting one another and their excitement of being in the same room together. So that's really cool in and of itself. But then you have Hillary Clinton and Sherry Blair, the change makers, you know, the The trailblazers, the powerful female leaders, the powerful leaders in their own right who have had a global impact on every level, no matter how you feel about either of them personally, there's no denying their place in history. And, you know, they are and will be in the history books, right? So here you are. A nurse who's turned podcaster slash let's say journalist right because it's a form of journalism and you're tackling these big issues like okay women's reproductive health is still being impacted by what the physicians back in ancient greece deemed <laughs> hysteria right yeah. so There's these reverberations and you're talking about the built space and you have an episode about how cities were really designed for women per se. And, you know, Eleanor Cleghorn talking about, you know, medicine. And I mean, she talked about on her episode how many years it takes the average woman with endometriosis to get diagnosed, which I think was 12 years which is yeah. absolutely more than outrageous it's 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 utterly disgusting that a woman with something like endometriosis which can be life threatening and extremely painful might take a decade right. to get properly diagnosed and that goes for women with multiple sclerosis i mean we could go down the list so we have these big, 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 big global issues. And then we have all the little local issues, all the women who are impacted, like reproductive rights here in the United States right now. I mean, this has not been a small year this past year, all the changes that have happened around abortion access. So, in your world, in your book, how do you pick and choose the issues that you feel are most salient for you to? dive deep into do you go with your personal gut do you go with what's in the news right now because there's so much to choose from and is it is there option paralysis like oh my gosh what do i cover <laughs> and how do i do justice to it all you know how do you balance the preponderance of topics and the time you have to cover them
0: it's a great question because it is definitely one of the hardest parts is deciding on topics and then limiting mm-hmm. the conversations down to like an hour or whatever because mm-hmm. there's just so many topics and so much to talk about within the topics um that it is a struggle and i think my process especially in the beginning when i was first launching it i really wanted to touch some of the bigger themes so healthcare the economy um authority you know my very first episode was on authority which mm-hmm you know, maybe doesn't sit in an industry like healthcare and economy, but it goes across it transcends all of the industries. It goes across everything, the way that we don't like to accord women with authority, the way that we see authoritative women as aggressive. Yes. Et cetera. Um
1: an authoritative man is assertive, yeah, and, and successful, and driven, and ambitious. Yes. but a authoritative woman is oh, she's aggressive, yeah,
0: absolutely. Sorry and we to, believe mean to interrupt. It. No, you can interrupt with that interjection all day. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's exactly it. We tend to believe that authoritative man as well. That's the other thing that um, we mm-hmm. talked about with Marianne from that episode is we mm-hmm. as we tend to confuse confidence for competence so not only are we okay with that but we need to believe him because he is saying it authoritatively but yes that's a that's a that's a side tangent um so yeah i really wanted to look at at issues that everyone or the majority i should say of people could relate to because you know kind of your question in the beginning about the highlighter and talking about how this is all ripple effects from millennia long issues. Really what I wanted to to do is just start planting seeds because I'm never going to be able to provide all of the topics, all of the context. There's just way too much information. So I just wanted to start planting seeds in people's minds to start thinking about the world differently basically and, and the systems that we operate in. So thinking about what systems touch the most amount of people, um, what issues touch the most amount of people. That's kind of how I started because then on your, you know, people can start to go down any path they would like with the same kind of way of thinking about the world and and how they exist within it.
1: Mm -hmm. So before we take a break, I want to ask you one more question. So following up on that, What, oh, I don't even know how to ask this question. (laughs) What would you like to see women listening to your show and being impacted by these issues, which every woman on the planet is impacted by these issues, whether she's conscious of it or not. What would you like to see women do with this information? There's plenty of things they could do. There's plenty of different roads they could travel in terms of getting fired up about something, like how long it takes a woman with endometriosis to get diagnosed, or how difficult it is for a woman to go out in the world and be authoritative and, and you know stake her claim in the world. So do you have an image of what one of your listeners might actually do with this information?
0: Yes, I think. Okay. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different ways that I could take this answer because fired up is great. You know, wanting Mm -hmm. to take action is great. But at the end of the day, the main thing that I would like women who hear this information to come away with is an understanding that it's not their fault. The seed that I want to plant is that they see the system. They understand That it's millennia long. They understand that it's not because they're not voicing their symptoms well enough. It's because they exist in this system where women aren't always believed about their symptoms. So it's about planting a seed of understanding that it's not their fault. And then whatever they want to do with that information, maybe Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, I don't want to put any onus on women. I want to fix the system. So if an individual woman wants to take action in her own life, uh-huh. in her doctor's office, in her workplace, that's fantastic. Of course, uh-huh. I will always champion that. But if she just wants to feel better knowing that it's not her fault, that if she'd done things differently, it wouldn't necessarily have been a different outcome or whatever is going on in her in her life, that is what I want to take away. And it might take one five ten years to for that seed to grow and for her to decide what she wants to do with that information but i think yeah some some relief knowing that it's a systemic issue and it's not you
1: Mm -hmm. that's a great place to begin in terms of what a woman could do with this information is to just personalize it first and realize yes it's not me right it's not my fault that's a great place to begin. And when we come back from the break, I wanna pick up that thread. I have something I wanna ask you about that. And then there's so, so much more to talk about. So please hang in there with us and we'll be right back with the second half of episode 421 of the Nurse Keys Show with Anna Steckline, founder, producer, and host of the Story of Woman podcast. We'll be right back. and welcome back to the second half of the episode we're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague Anna Steckline and Anna prior to the break i asked you a question about what you could picture one woman doing with the information she hears and gleans from listening to your podcast the story of women here's my follow up question what would you like a man listening to your show to do to follow up from listening to your show? How would you like him to be impacted in terms of what action he might take in his life in the world around him?
0: Love that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The beginning part of my answer is probably going to be quite similar, which is recognizing the system, the structure, because just as a woman might blame herself you know, I tend to think that we I mean, and this isn't even just with feminism and gender we we very often don't see systems and structures in place and kind of put blame full blame and full responsibility on on individuals. So I think beginning to understand the system and where he sits within it and where women sit within it, and then using whatever. Voice, power, action, anything that he is able to do in his position to create space. I don't really like the word, you know, help. We're not trying to help women, um, Mm -hmm. but create space for them in whatever that looks like, and the particular, you know, wherever he works or if he's um if he's a if he's married if he's got kids starting in the home, what is the work that you're doing at home, and is it the same amount of work that your wife is doing um, same with you know in the starting with seeing the system and then starting personal at home and then it's gonna look a little bit different depending on the type of Work that he does, but there's so much that can be done in a workplace as well. Uh, But it all starts with just having the basic foundational understanding and recognizing your own privilege. You know, for it's the same for me as a white person, Um, it is on the onus of me to understand the issues of racial inequity and of racial inequity and everything that exists within that space. It's not on the onus of, of people of color to educate me. So it's the same thing with gender, not going to women and having them need to explain everything to you and hold your hand through the process, but taking ownership in that this is not women's issues. This is a humanity issue and you play a part. So what would you, so what can you do in your, position to educate yourself further and use whatever privilege and power that you have, which will look a little bit different for everyone, to start shifting the landscape.
1: I'm glad you brought race into it, which I've talked about on this show a fair amount. And you're, you're right that we can't expect the quote unquote other to hold our hand through the process of learning, though we may learn quite a bit you know, in conversation and otherwise. And we also have to realize that, you know, everyone is a victim of all of these systems that have Mm -hmm. been put in place for so long, all of these inequities. Everyone in some way is hurt by them. Yes. Whether we see that clearly or not, whether it's implicit or not, it's there, right? So racism hurts everyone. Right. Of course, it hurts the people who are being um, who racism is directed towards. It hurts them the most, of course, but there's pain that can be felt everywhere. I mean, as a white, you know, cisgender, heterosexual man, you know, there's pain, I feel, over the fact of like just the shame of like feeling shame about being a white man. (laughs) You know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, what do I do with this feeling? Right. Mm. And that's that's a tough spot to be, isn't it?
0: It is. But it's a really it's a really important point that you just made, too. And that's something that I really always try to bring through in the podcast. I mean, there's a whole recurring section in the first season about what men stand to gain um, with the issues that we're talking about. Because, yeah, it might be worse for women, worse for people of color with all of these, but it's still having systems that put people in boxes that tell them what they can and can't do, who they can and can't be. You know, straight, cisgender white men are in boxes too. And there are Mm -hmm. limitations placed on you um, personally, but then also, of course, just the impacts of, living in a society that doesn't fully utilize, you know, the half the population and, and everything that comes with that. So it's both personally impacting you as a man and systemically as well. It's a really good point.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about you for a second. So where did, when and where did your nursing um, career begin?
0: Yeah. So I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and that is, well, actually my nursing career, I guess, would have began with my education down at the University of West Florida um, where I studied nursing, but then I worked as a nurse for a short time in St. Louis before moving to New York City where I worked for a few more years.
1: Mm -hmm. And what are some of the things that you noticed, and I'm making the assumption that these issues didn't just like fall into your lap in the last six months. I mean, I'm assuming that this level of awareness and has been with you for a very long time, that this is part of who you are, right? What happened? Are there any crystallizing moments or experiences in your years as a clinical nurse out there in the world, boots on the ground, that kind of opened your eyes, shocked you, or just were like moments of full awakeness where you realized, oh my gosh, what I'm seeing is really not good here. Like I'm seeing something that should be different.
0: You know, it's funny that you say it like that because So much of what I can identify from my nursing career, I came to understand later Hmm. because of all that I internalized about these issues. You know, I'm from Missouri. I'm from a quite conservative traditional upbringing. So my first years out of university, you know, still early 20s, still very much not aware of these issues you know a big motivating factor of me starting this podcast and wanting to start planting seeds is because i grew up in a bubble where none of these seeds existed Mm. so i can definitely talk to instances but i'm not sure it's hard to like really know for sure so i can talk to many different instances but my understanding of them was really shaped kind of years after as i began to intellectualize and and learn so i can look back and you know i worked in the emergency department in new york city mm-hmm. uh which was quite the experience yeah, I bet. um <laughs> night shift um north harlem it was it was it was pretty crazy but there are two patients that I can remember, two women who were in uh, one had just kind of generalized gastritis pain. And I worked in an environment, this is one thing that kind of pushed me out of the field. I worked in a quite unsafe environment where I would come in on shift at nights and have like 16 emergency patients. It was just Hmm. completely untenable and unsafe. And we weren't supported by um, our managers and all kinds of things. But um, I had one woman who just, you know, had had stomach pains. And I think the orders were just to, you know, give her some, I don't remember what some mild medication and and that's about it. And she sit she was there for hours and hours. And I remember she was like, very vocal about the pain that she was in about her experience of something not being right, something not being right. Um, and at some point, she got an EKG. And now this is, you know, this has been a decade. So my, sure. my specifics aren't going to be exactly right. But at some point, Tests were finally run, and it turns out she was having a heart attack. And, you know, then I get into this years down the line, and I learn about how the symptoms of a heart attack that we typically associate with that clutching your chest and all what we, what we, the Hollywood heart attack, I think it's called Mm -hmm. everything that we envision that's mainly experienced by men. Women can experience that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, that mild gas that gastritis, that just feeling like something's not quite right, everything mm-hmm. she was experiencing was classic symptoms for a woman. Yeah. But nobody, nobody recognized that. And I can recall in nursing school seeing a little teeny tiny paragraph at the bottom of the, you know, cardiac chapters about the a, um, about the, what's the word? For not standard. <laughs> Atypical, yeah, Mm -hmm. atypical, a tiny paragraph at the bottom about the atypical symptoms that women Mm. can experience. And I just find that astounding that atypical is symptoms for half the population. Yeah.
1: A little footnote, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The Hollywood heart attack, clutching the chest, Mm -hmm. right? You, that's, that's a very male thing. And I have heard that women having heart attacks can have stomach pain, back pain, flank pain, you know. And it's not the numbness down the arm and the, the left-sided or centralized chest pain that men experience. And there's an example of, we could say possibly, going back to Eleanor Cleghorn's interview on your show last season of hysteria, right? Going back to that root of womb, hist as in hysterectomy, Right where this woman is seen as hysterical, she's overblowing her symptoms, maybe she's a drug seeker, mm-hmm. maybe she just wants attention and you know she's howling in the other room and you know give her some Tylenol and just ignore her and pay attention to the patients who are really sick, right? Then it turns out she has she's had a heart attack and you and I both know and everyone listening knows that when it comes to heart attack and stroke, time is crucial and the more quickly we try to assuage the symptoms and turn things around the better so who knows years years later what she's experienced based on her symptoms being ignored for so many hours so here we have healthcare bias And it doesn't just affect women's reproductive health, though that's in the news a lot lately here in 2023, right? But a lot of women are being impacted by that in various states around the U.S. and around the world. So gender figures so much in healthcare and healthcare delivery, just like we mentioned earlier with women waiting so many years to get diagnosed with, let's say, endometriosis. So you you're still a nurse. I mean you your nurseness is there. And what do you think what kind of parad is paradigmatic paradigmatic a word, <laughs> What kind of paradigm shift could happen? I'm seeing a lot of female millennial nurses rising into positions of power and i've had some here on this show what can happen as we have a generational shift what do you picture might be some of the positive repercussions of that as we move forward like say in the next 10 to 20 years if you could see it what would it might it look like
0: i think you've just about hit the nail on the head talking about women rising in positions of power i okay. think that's that's first and foremost getting women in higher levels within healthcare delivery, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, who's who's writing the textbooks, who's doing the research, who's mm-hmm. funding the research, whose research is getting funded, who's participating in the in the trials. So, I guess not just power, but anything that's influencing this system needs to be kind of evened out. And there needs to be women represented at every stage. And similar, on the flip side of that, we need more men in nursing. Um, I think getting a greater gender balance across the board with more women in positions of power and you know research, and everything I mentioned, but also more men in to the fields of nursing um, to, to equalize the playing field that way is just as important. Um, So yeah, I think, I think we're moving in the right direction. And Mm -hmm. I think in order to truly rectify these millennia long um, issues, it has to happen. There just has to be equal representation at every level. And then a parallel thing happening in society where journalists continue talking about these issues where books continue being written about them and where women and all people feel empowered when they go into a doctor's office to that. They're going to be able to um, say what they're experiencing and not feel gaslit. So I think it also it goes across the board um, on the patient side as well that yes. we're that feeling okay, demanding, you know, someone listen to us.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. When I think of women moving into positions of power, and I'm thinking of the millennial generation specifically, who, you know, the oldest millennials are now in their early 40s. You know, I think about my friend, Charlene Platten, who I've talked about on this show before and has been on one one of my other podcasts, um, who's the director of ambulatory nursing at Stanford. And she's a powerful, empowered millennial woman, and she's proud of that fact, you know, and she's changing what she sees around her. I think about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's sort of, you know, a, a, a polarizing figure in some ways in the culture. However, she's representative of millennial women now holding the levers of power or starting to hold more levers of power at the legislative level. And you know just a few episodes ago on episode um 418 i had kimberly gordon on from healing politics and that's an organization that is encouraging nurses especially and healthcare providers to run for elected office Ooh. so the more enlightened people we have running not just for president or member of parliament or Senate, but for state senate, for city council, for school board, for library board, you know, whatever yeah. level at which they would like to be involved, that's where things can change as well. Because, the, you know, legislation doesn't solve everything, it's not possible, but it can have an impact who is making the laws, don't you think so?
0: <laughs> yes, pretty important
1: yeah pretty important and it's not the be all and end all and we can't solve it all through legislation but we need people in positions of power so that's one reason i think that episode is important because of that that drive to get more more healthcare providers um women and men to run for elected office
0: love that idea
1: yeah so oh my gosh anna there's so many things to talk about <laughs> so little time so When it comes to reproductive health, and this is a polarizing issue, and especially in the US, I don't know quite about the UK where you live now, but in terms of reproductive health, it sounds to me from just listening and watching and observing that that is an enormous issue right now that underscores women's ability to make. The best decisions for themselves or not be able to (laughs) what what would you like to see happen and do you feel like you want to cover that even more deeply on your show because it's such a driving force right now Mm -hmm. in the culture
0: yes this is um such a driving force in the culture. And it's also for me personally, one of the biggest issues when I talk about those those seeds, as I've talked about throughout this conversation, that was one of the first seeds that was planted for me because of my upbringing in conservative Missouri, I was raised pro-life and abortion is bad and people that have them are bad. And then, you know, years go by and I start forming my own opinions doing my own Research and understanding of the world, and that was just blown wide open. So, I've been on the other side, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I feel very strongly personally because of the morality behind it all, you know, that it's cloaked in that this is the moral way. Um, When the reality is that if a woman isn't able to decide, if and when she not just goes through the very dangerous, especially in America, and especially if you're Black or a person, a woman of color, nine months that it takes to form this human, but then to have to to raise another human being. If a woman is not able to decide that, she will not be able to create a life that is hers, or it will be very, very difficult, especially, you know, I think confounded on this issue in America specifically, it's such a big issue in general, because that's the biggest, you know, one of the biggest decisions a person could ever make in their life that comes down to so many different factors and influences that nobody else could decide except for that person making the decision. So there's there's all of that, but then on top of that is the lack of support for mothers, for parents, for families mm-hmm. in America. You know, we're the only, the only um, modern. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have paid leave. Mm-hmm. Childcare is extortionate. You know, women are dropping out of the workforce at alarmingly high rates right now following the pandemic and everything that's happening so not only are we not leaving it up to women to make the decision for themselves but then we're not giving them any we're not giving them any support when they do decide to become a parent so in a lot of ways we are forcing women into poverty so it's it's such a fundamental and large issue and it's <laughs> it's such a big issue that I get fired up about that I forget the original question that you asked it's okay <laughs>
1: It's all right. It's all right. No, I, I'm glad I elicited that from you because we, that is an issue of the day that is unavoidable. When we talk about healthcare, when we talk about women's sense of personal agency and their ability to make choices, you know, for themselves, for their health, for their family, for their financial well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And you're right. I mean, if we're gonna tell women that if they get pregnant they have to have a child, then we could at least provide child care, support, paid leave, all the things that are, you know, provided in other countries where women actually have that ability to, you know, be more present for their children because they can actually earn a living while they're raising their children right? I mean, my friends in Holland, you know, they just can't even imagine having to pay for university. Like that makes no sense to them at all. They get, you know, enormous amounts of maternal and paternal leave when a child is born. I mean, there's just no, there's no comparison and they can't even, Fathom what we do and don't have here in the United States. So there are just so many issues. And gosh, I'm, you know, I look forward to your podcast, The Story of Women, expanding and continuing to grow and addressing the issues that, you know, are the ones that present themselves to you that you would truly like to cover. And you are a figure at Health Podcast Network in terms of Health Unmuted, which is this library of healthcare and medical podcast that Dan Kendall's been kind of curating and creating at the Health Podcast Network. And he was on episode 389 and we were talking about the network and Health Unmuted. So tell me about your involvement with the whole Health Unmuted project.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I really, really enjoyed working on this project because it was a a beautiful way for me to combine my nursing background and expertise with my newfound love and skills of podcasting, bringing that together. So Health Unmuted, exactly as you say, it's an audio library of a bunch of different mini series. So six to eight episodes um, that are 15, usually about 15 minutes long, each episode that really dives deep into different diseases and conditions, um, really giving people an overview of what is it, who's at risk, what causes it, what are some symptoms, and taking you through that journey um, and it's really meant, you know, the the listeners that we have in mind when creating it are people who are just newly diagnosed and their loved ones. So you just received a diagnosis and it's kind of, where do you start? Where do you go from here? You, it's very easy to get overloaded with information on, on Google and even in the hospital or wherever you're at. So um, the intention of it is really, this is a place to get started with these short episodes that tell you all the main overviews of the things you need to know. And then there's lots of call-outs to additional resources and ways to continue educating yourself and going down that journey. Um, And I was involved in, I wore pretty much most of the hats (laughs) um, in in various different. So I started out kind of helping to find some of the guests that appear on the show. So the way that we created them is by interviewing people that are living with the diseases and conditions and their loved ones, their caregivers, but also health practitioners, so nurses, doctors, specialists. And um, I originally started finding the different voices, um, people who wanted to share their story and help join in this narrative. And then I got involved actually hosting, um, one and helping to produce it. So that was, um, the most recent one that I worked on was the Parkinson's disease podcast. And I got to conduct all the interviews with the, um, guests on it and then actually help to put the story together. So the way that the sound, when you listen to them, is you have this different voices and perspectives that we weave together in, um, scripted narrative that kind of adds some additional context to what the people that we're interviewing are saying. So we want to really really make sure that we're giving people accurate information and mm-hmm. things are always changing in this landscape. So a big part of that job is really, you know, fact-checking things that people are saying, making sure we're including all of the most important information that people need to know and yeah, that was kind of kind of the overview as it was working with With the people themselves, which is my favorite part about podcasting is getting to talk to people.
1: (laughs) Me too. That's wonderful. And I think you told me there are seven episodes of the Parkinson's Mm -hmm. um, podcast on Health Unmuted. And I know, I think the first one was the Alzheimer's um, series. And that is really, um, I mean, both of these are diseases that people really, truly need to know about. And You know, I I know um, Alan Alda, remember Alan Alda from MASH, the actor, he has Parkinson's disease and he has talked about it on his podcast. And there's one amazing interview with Michael J. Fox from several years ago, and they shared together about their lives living with Parkinson's disease. So if you've never heard that episode, it's pretty cool. So anyway, that's awesome that you're involved with Health Unmuted and major Mungo enormous ginormous shout out to dan kendall who is absolutely amazing so i hope people will check out health unmuted and of course the health podcast network
0: yes and i join in that shout out it's just a pleasure working with him and helping to create these and yeah there's alzheimer's there's copd and there's everything else under the sun that's going to be coming diabetes breast cancer migraine sickle cell so absolutely everything so keep a close watch.
1: And I encourage people to, to subscribe. They can go to the story of woman podcast.com and also Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn, and they can subscribe on any podcast app. And before we go, I have four lightning questions. I ask all my guests. Are you, are you willing to partake of a lightning round?
0: I'm willing. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah.
1: So the first question is, how do you define success personally and or professionally?
0: I think it, this might be a wish-wash answer and not very lightning, but I think it depends on the situation. I think the definition of success should should always be contingent on the person in the situation.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're saying each person... <laughs> gets to define what success is for them.
0: Yeah. And it might look different today than it does tomorrow, than it does, you know, in a month's time. And that's okay.
1: Well, I really like that because that (laughs) actually, that says a lot about you and what you're you're all about, what I perceive you being all about, which is people having a sense of agency. So I appreciate that. So it's just... Fits right in with the whole, with this theme. <laughs> okay, second question. This one might be hard for you. Could you name or maybe just describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead, famous or not famous. And I know you know a lot of amazing people. So who? What's who's one person you think you would want to call out?
0: Oh, yeah, that is that is definitely difficult but I think I have to say Gloria Steinem
1: oh do tell
0: uh yes Gloria Steinem for anyone who's not familiar was one of the leading feminists of the what's called the second wave in the 60s and 70s and uh for one I had the honor of meeting her last year so you know she naturally goes up in my book a little bit from that but also um I just kind of studied her when I was launching this podcast and the way that she approaches these issues are, it's very collaborative and inclusive and she's always kind of been ahead of her time in the way that she approaches these issues. So I've always kind of looked to her for guidance in my own work and studied the way that she's carried herself and yeah, tackle these issues.
1: That's really great that you got to meet her. That's lovely. <gasps> I'm really glad. Yeah. You've met some pretty yeah, powerful people out there in the world.
0: Yeah, it's been it's it's been a wild few years. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Okay. Third question. Is there a book or a movie? And it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite because that's just too hard to pin down for most of us, but just one. That's had a major impact on the way you think, the way you live your life, or the way you approach your work in the world.
0: uh-huh, mm. mm-hmm. very hard because
1: mm-hmm.
0: everything influences me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will, I will, I will have an answer because. Okay. Again, I talked about these seeds a lot, but you could see my way of thinking, and I can mm-hmm. look back at one book that I read that allowed me to take the idea that I had for the podcast forward. So, you know, as we've talked about, I was a nurse. I didn't have experience in this world. And what usually happens is I get an idea, something I want to do, a way I want to make change in the world. And then I just kind of sit on it and don't do anything with it. But I read a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which, mm-hmm. yeah, have, a lot of people will have heard of very popular book. And, you know, the core of it is really starting to recognize the systems that we've been talking about and and not even needing to understand them, but just going back to yourself, being still and understanding what you want in this world and working out ways to try and not be influenced by all of the messages that we've been receiving our entire lives, covertly and more overtly, that might shift us in different directions. So after I read that book, I decided that I was hundred percent going to start the podcast because I felt like the values within it really, uh, instilled in me the confidence that I was lacking before mm-hmm. I started the book.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Unta- <laughs> untamed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But-
1: yeah. Okay. Last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, And I I can picture you in a tiara for sure. (laughs) What's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? And you don't have to equivocate too much because being queen of the world means you have ultimate power. So I'm just wondering, like, what's one of the first actions you would want to take?
0: I would want to... And well, because I'm queen of the world, other people can figure out how to do this. But well, yeah, I would the want- how doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. 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 Cool. I like that. I like being queen of the world. Uh, economic equality. Mm-hmm. Economic equality across the entire globe.
1: So you would start there?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And being queen of the world, right. It doesn't matter. You would have the ability to find the people who would help you make that happen. Yeah, But that, again, I mean, all of your answers fit into this, this, I don't know, this sphere in which you seem to move, which is equality, you know, lack of bias, you know, equal opportunity, you know, really trying to to level the playing field for as many people as possible in as many ways as possible right
0: absolutely freedom yeah. for everyone and mm-hmm. men as well as we talked about this yeah
1: is- <laughs> there's an idea for a podcast it would it would be called queen of the world and <laughs> on each episode you'd interview a woman and she would just get to tell you exactly what the world would look like if she could make all the decisions
0: yes i love this idea yeah
1: take it it's yours i
0: might pivot thank you thank you
1: (laughs) well anna this has been so so wonderful and i recommend everybody listen to the story of women podcast i'm going to be sharing it far and wide And I think there's lots of amazing conversations to come. You're just getting started. You're just in season two. So there's more, much more to come. And um, this has been so fun. And I want to have you back sometime so we can talk some more. But this has been really awesome.
0: I would love to be back. So yeah, anytime. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing for nurses. And yeah, I will keep following the show. And I'm glad to now be friends.
1: Thank you, my friend. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Remember the show notes will be at nursekeith.com or just look on any app where you happen to be listening. Please follow Anna Steckline and the Story of Women podcast. Let her know you're out there. Throw her a rating and review once you've listened to some episodes because you will be moved by the show. If you need personalized, holistic career coaching, Please look no further than Nurse Keith Coaching and NurseKeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. If you want to become a patron over at Patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith, feel free. Even $2 a month helps a great deal. So if you'd like to become a patron, I would appreciate it. Oh, so much. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappiespeason is our social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Brene Brown. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self acceptance. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, where it happens to be snowing a lot more than I would like. And the inimitable Anna Steckline saying Arrivederci from
0: London, where it's actually kind of sunny right now.
1: London, England. Lovely. Thank you so much, Anna. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side.